Hear now the word of the Lord. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, and the best seats in the synagogues, and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Well, over the last couple of weeks, excuse me, I've had the privilege of uh, teaching the ladies' Bible study on Wednesday morning and on Wednesday evening, and going through the process of inductive Bible study. Uh, those of you who are able to go through that uh, may see the steps this morning as we go through the passage um, of observing what is going on, uh, interpreting the meaning, uh, what does it mean, and then giving it application. Uh, how does this apply to our lives um, for your benefit, I tried to structure, uh, as we look at these two different encounters in Jesus' life here, uh, according to that, uh, so that we can see the process there at work. Uh, as we get into this passage, one of the things um, that kept coming to mind uh, this past week is a quote by Jim Elliott. Uh, it's a quote that I have, uh, have said from the pulpit before. It's one of the most famous quotes from his life. Uh, he was an extensive journal keeper, um, and uh, one of the, the quotes that, that we have taken from his journal is this, is that he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. As I was looking at this story of this widow and her offering of these two small copper coins, I kept going back uh, to, to the life of Jim Elliot. And the fact that he was able to give his life um, as a missionary uh, to, uh, to the native um, people in Ecuador there and uh, had such a passion for sharing the gospel that he was willing to make the ultimate sacrifice. And not just him, those other men who were with him to be able to share the gospel and to the point where they were willing to sacrifice everything. So we're going to look at this morning what that means uh, to give as the widow gave, to give our own two cents as the widow did. So as we look at the passage this morning, let's first of all look at the context, what is going on. Uh, if you remember in the book of Luke, the reason that he wrote this book, he, he gave it to us in Luke chapter 1 verses 3 and 4. 
He says, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. So in Luke, we have this orderly account. And he directs it to his friends. He may be fictitious or he may be an actual person. His most excellent Theophilus. That you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So Luke wants us to have certainty of the things that we have been taught. And so he gives us this orderly account. And as we get to chapter 20, the end of chapter 20 and the beginning of chapter 21, uh, we're reminded of where we are in the life of Jesus. As we've been reminding ourselves each week in Luke 9, 51, he set his face toward Jerusalem. He knew the end was near and that he needed to journey there We followed him on his long journey from Galilee down into Jerusalem through Jericho. He has arrived in Jerusalem in triumph with people shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. He comes in humbly, riding on a donkey. And as he dismounts his donkey, the first place that he goes is to the temple. He cleanses it much to the consternation of the religious leaders. He is taking over their turf, and they're upset. They want to trap him. They want to destroy him. And so they lay these traps for him. And we've looked at these traps over the last couple of weeks of asking him, where does your authority come from? They ask him, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? They try to trip him up theologically when they ask about the resurrection and about marriage. And he passes these tests with flying colors. Then he asks his own question that they simply can't answer. He asks, how can the son of David also be the Lord of David? And they are silent. They can't stump him. They can't answer him. So they're done. They're done. No more talking. No more questions. Only Jesus now. Uh, Immediately following our passage, Jesus gives the Olivet Discourse. Uh, This is Jesus' warning regarding what is to come, not only in the near future, but also in the distant future as well. And on the following day, we're going to read about the Last Supper. We're going to read about Jesus' betrayal. And in just two days from this point, Jesus is going to be dead. He is going to be dead crucified. So this is where we're at in Jesus' life. He is so close to the crucifixion. Um, He knows that it's coming. It's just two days away. In our passage for this morning, this is the last time that Jesus speaks regarding the religious leaders. Uh, Throughout his ministry, no other group of people has Jesus been so tough on than he has the religious leaders He has not been hard on the Samaritans, not on the Gentiles, not on the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Instead, he's treated those like friends. He's drawn them close to him. But the religious leaders, he is very pointed in in his refute of them. He is giving them a tongue lashing. So we get to our passage this morning, and he tells his disciples and all the people who are within earshot, Not to be like the scribes. He warns against the scribes because they are ones who will receive greater condemnation 
for how they live. So how do these scribes live? Well, Jesus tells us they are concerned about their appearance. It's like every time they pass a mirror, they look to see how they are dressed. It's like a teenager getting ready for school in the morning. you got to look your best. I remember those days. Those were rough days, weren't they? Um, but they're concerned about their appearance, uh, how they are going to be seen by other people. They're concerned about the fact that when they enter into a, a, a place where a lot of people are gathered, that people know that they're there. It's like they enter into a party and they like to be fashionably late, not because they're constantly running behind, which some of them, some people like myself, struggle with, but they want to be fashionably late so people will see when they enter. They like that, um, uh, they like the spotlight. Uh, They act spiritual, but not for God's glory. They act that way for their own glory. Jesus mentions the way that they pray. They use their flowery language with all the the these and the thous. It's like, like they're putting on a Broadway show so that people will be impressed with how they pray. Jesus says it's for a pretense that they do this. And he says that they devour widows. Now, I don't know exactly what this means by devouring widows, but we can tell that it is not good. Uh, They take advantage of the people who are helpless, uh, the helpless of the helpless, as widows were. And the scribes are taking advantage of them. I get the impression that they are like uh, like people in our day and age who who take advantage of people in uh, uh, senior citizens who are um, older in life and, uh, you know, would steal their retirement account or do whatever they can uh, to take advantage of them. Uh, These are what the scribes are accused of doing. Everything that they are doing is selfish. It's self-centered. It is self-promoting. They appear to be followers of God, but Jesus exposes the reality of their hearts. They aren't honoring God at all. Instead, what they're doing is they're honoring themselves. And so what uh, what does Jesus say that they will receive for their actions? Now, they may have gained the respect of the people because they are held in a position of authority and of influence. But Jesus warns that there will be trouble to come. Not only will they receive condemnation, he says they will receive greater condemnation. They believe that they're going to receive rewards for their behavior, but God has something else in store for them. Uh, It's like a lazy employee who is so out of touch with reality that when the boss calls him into his office to meet with him, this employee thinks that he's going to get a raise. But instead of getting a raise, he gets fired. Uh, This is what's happening with the scribes. They think they're going to receive commendation but instead they're going to receive condemnation. Uh, These religious leaders are the very people that Jesus talks about in Mark chapter 9, verse 42, where where Mark writes, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Because this is what the scribes are doing. By the way they are acting, they are causing people around them to sin. It's not 
So what does this mean? What does this passage mean? Jesus is telling his disciples and all would-be followers of him that self-promotion is not in line with the Christian life. Jesus himself acted in humility, and he taught humility. Jesus didn't worry about his appearance. He didn't seek out fame. In fact, what would he always do? He would say, do not tell anyone about what you have seen. He didn't seek out fame. He certainly didn't destroy or devour widows. He didn't pray under false pretenses. In fact, when he did pray, Mark records this in 1 verse 35, said, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. He prayed by himself. He didn't want to draw attention to himself. Jesus taught humility. We see it throughout the book of Luke. Chapter 9, 23, Jesus says, Take up your cross daily and follow me. 13, verse 30, he says, The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. In 14, 11, and 8, 14, he says, For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, Jesus had every right He had every opportunity to self-promote. If there was one person in this world who could promote self, it would be Jesus. He was the Son of God. He performed all these miracles. He raised people from the dead. If he wanted to promote himself, he certainly could. But instead of shameless self-promotion, Christ engaged in humble self-sacrifice. And because he did, he didn't receive condemnation like the scribes. Instead, he received commendation from God. God raised him up. He gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So Jesus is telling his disciples, in a sense, he's asking him this question, who are you going to be like? Are you going to be like the religious leaders or are you going to be like me? This is two days away from Jesus' death, uh, several days away from the resurrection, uh, a couple of weeks away from Pentecost uh, after Jesus' ascension. Jesus is about to send out his disciples. He has been training them for three years to be able to be sent out by the power of the Holy Spirit. They, in a sense, are going to be in this uh, position of authority uh, like these religious leaders are. People are going to be looking at them as examples of Christ. So he says, beware. Are you going to be like the scribes and promote self? Or are you going to humbly promote Christ? Are you going to be like them? Or will you be like me? So as we look at application of this, as we are reminded of the gospel, the first thing that I see here as I look at this passage is my own need for repentance. Because I realize that I am like these scribes. In my service to God, 
I desire more that I would be seen than God would be seen in me. I turn on my Christian life when others are around so that they can witness it. And when I'm alone, I take the opportunity to simply turn it off. So the first thing that we are called to here is to repentance. The second thing we are called to do is to believe in the gospel. Because Jesus wasn't like the scribes, as we said before. He didn't engage in shameless self-promotion. Instead, what he did is he sacrificed himself for us. In humility, he gave of himself completely so that we could be cleansed from our sins. So in this, Jesus is calling us to repent of being like the scribes and to believe in the gospel. And in an act of divine providence, Jesus has in front of him the perfect example of what he's talking about in this passage. He turns his attention and the the attention of the, the disciples in the crowd to a woman who enters the temple and who has come to give her offering in one of the offering boxes. And what he does is that he draws attention to this woman and to the others who are putting in their offering. And Jesus commends the widow who gives sacrificially, not just generously. So Jesus is watching this offering box, and he's watching the rich as they are putting in vast amounts of money. Um, There were no checks in those days, so you can tell how much people were giving into the offering by how, in a sense, big their sacks of money were that they were bringing. So you could tell when the rich were bringing large sums. Uh, You can tell when others were bringing in not so large of sums. You see the rich dumping in their piles of money, drawing lots of attention to themselves. And then you see an old widow, and she approaches the box quietly. She drops two small coins into the box, hardly making a noise. Nothing compared to the mountains of money that the rich were given. And slowly and quietly, she shuffles away. And in this one simple act, Jesus has the perfect illustration for the warning that he has just given his disciples regarding the the scribes and their self-promotion. So the question is, why did the woman put these two copper coins in the offering box? Why did she do that? Well, we know that she wasn't doing it so that she could help out the balance in the treasury. What she was doing was giving, uh, in our day and age, in a sense, two pennies. But we know it's even less than two pennies. She was giving hardly anything. Her adding that to the treasury wasn't going to allow people to uh, buy supplies for the temple, uh, to purchase repairs. Uh, This wasn't going to add anything to the treasury. It really wasn't. Uh, If she had kept it, it's not like she would be even able to survive on it. This wasn't going to provide meals for her. Uh, This, in a sense, um, was not something that she could even live on. It was so little. 
This woman is truly at the end of her rope. All she has are these two worthless pennies. And so she gives it to the treasury. She gives it to the Lord. And with this, now she has absolutely nothing. Try to imagine what it would be like for her after she gave her offering. After she shuffles out of the temple and goes back home, back to wherever she lives. Uh, We aren't told by Jesus what happens, but we know that she has nothing. She has no idea how she will eat. She has no money. She is completely and utterly placing her trust in God. Jesus tells us that her offering is not significant monetarily, but it is incredibly significant spiritually. When the widow drops these two coins into the box, here's what she's saying. She's saying, God, I trust you completely with my life. You are everything. I have nothing. I surrender myself to you. She's saying, Lord, I trust you. The widow realizes an incredible truth about God. God doesn't ask a lot from us. Instead, God asks for everything from us. God doesn't require a lot from us. God requires everything from us. He doesn't ask us to give generously to Him. He asks us to give everything to Him. Everything. What we see in the scribes is that they don't have enough faith in God to surrender to Him completely. They don't trust in God to the point where they are willing to surrender to Him in humility. They don't trust that God will be the one to lift them up. So they lift themselves up. The thought of becoming nothing so that God could be exalted is a completely foreign concept to them. Instead of believing that I exist to bring glory to God, they act as if God exists to bring glory to them. So we have no idea what happens to the widow after she drops in her offering. Most likely her life was a continual struggle until God called her home. We know that she didn't put those two copper coins into the treasury so that she would receive a reward. She did it because she had faith in God and she trusted in Him. Oftentimes I get this thought in my head that uh, because I sacrifice for God and I give to Him, that somehow I deserve a reward for that. And when things don't go well in my life, when I get frustrated, I have this thought, God, I have done X, and this is how I get treated for it. This is not fair. The widow didn't feel that way. She didn't say, God, how could you allow this to happen to me after all that I have done for you? She didn't say, you know what, I deserve better than this. She didn't start comparing herself to others, thinking they have so much and I have so little. 
She simply gave sacrificially of all that she had and trusted in God. So the question that we have to wrestle with as believers is this. Do we trust in God to the point where we are willing to surrender everything to him, not asking for anything in return? Even willing to sacrifice uh, our position in society, um, our clothing, um, and I'm referring to what the scribes uh, were so intent on. Are we willing to, to sacrifice and become humble so that Christ will be exalted? The question we need to ask ourselves is, where does our trust rest? Does it rest in Christ, in the one who completely gave of himself, who completely sacrificed for us on our behalf? The question is, what does it look like to give sacrificially? What does it look like to use this widow as an example and to give of all that we have? Um, as, a, as a pastor, it would be tempting to, to preach this sermon on one of the last Sundays in December. As we're nearing the end of our, our fiscal year, wondering if we're going to make budget. And to lay a guilt trip on the congregation and say, this woman, she gave everything that she had. Um, that's our calling, is to give everything. So is that our calling? To give every last penny over to God. Is that what we are to do? The answer is yes, it is. Does that mean that we give every last penny over to the church? Not necessarily. I want you guys to eat and to provide for your families. Um, But it comes from this understanding that our checkbook, that the balance in our account is not ours. And she got that. So she gave of it to the Lord trusting that he would provide for her. We need to understand that the money that is in my account is not mine. It belongs to the Lord. And how I spend that money tells me, it tells God what I think and what I put my trust in. So are we to give all that we have over to the Lord? Absolutely, because he deserves it. It's amazing that we have a Lord and Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, who did what this woman has displayed, that he gave sacrificially of all he had. Because Jesus is our motivation, and he is the power behind our ability to be able to sacrifice because of what he has done for us. Imagine if Jesus was like the rich people In this scenario, imagine if instead of giving all, Jesus had just given generously. What would it look like if Jesus had just given generously? If Jesus had just paid for some of our sins on the cross, but not all? We would still be lost. This morning in our communicants class, We were talking about the fact that God is both just and merciful at the same time. That he poured out his justice on his son, Jesus, and he gave us mercy. So instead of death, we have received life. And there is nothing in ourselves that we could do uh, to gain his mercy. 
Instead, He has freely given it to us. We realize that we are dead in our sins. If Jesus had just given generously, we would still be dead. We would still be lost. But the good news of the gospel is this, is that instead of giving generously, Jesus gave all. He sacrificed his life completely. He gave it over to his Father so that we might receive salvation, that we might be covered in his blood through faith and receive salvation, the forgiveness of our sins. Jim Elliott said, He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Are we willing to say with the Apostle Paul, as he did in Philippians 1.21, that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? Or even to echo the words of John the Baptist in John 3, verse 30, where he said, He, meaning Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. May our hope and our trust rest in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ the one who sacrificed everything for us. Let us pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven. Father, when we think about what Jesus has done for us, that he not only gave generously, that he gave all. When we think about the mercy that you have poured out on us, through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, how can we respond in any way except through gratitude? Lord, I pray that we would have the same vision as this woman did, as she gave of her very last, these two small copper coins. She gave everything that she had to live on over to you because she put her faith and trust in the Lord. Father, I pray that we would have the same vision, that we would put our faith and our trust in you, that we would surrender all that we have and give it over to you. Father, we know that when we do this, that we don't lose anything. In fact, what we do is that we gain all, because when we surrender all to you, what we gain is you. Father, we thank you for what you have done through your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that we would rest and trust in him, that you would take our lives and that you would let them be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.